This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun liyaddabbaru ayatihi waliyatadhakkara ulul albab. Wa wahabna lidawuda sulaymana ni'mal abdu innahu awwab. إذ عرض عليه بالعشي الصافنات الجياد رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقهوا قولي فالحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم قال رب اغفر لي وهب لي ملكا لا ينبغي لاحد من بعدي انك انت الوهاب رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري وَحْلُ الْعُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِ يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي آمِينَ يَا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ Once again everyone, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is our final session for Amazed by the Qur'an. And I'm making, I'm hoping that Allah Azza wa Jal accepts this effort from all of us and all of, all of you for attending. And that Allah Azza wa Jal increases our relationship with the Book of Allah and brings us closer and closer to Him. And accepts this in every second that we've spent here as an act of worship and service to Him. What I want to share with you in this session, inshallah, is a dua of Sulaiman alayhi salam that stands very unique in the Qur'an because at first glance, it seems like he's asking for something very materialistic. Of course, you know that we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ We ask Allah for good in this world and good in the next. When we say, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً in this particular dua, he says, Qala Rabbi He said, Master, forgive me. Wahabli mulkan and grant me, give me the gift of kingdom. That is not befitting anyone that comes after me. Give me a kind of kingdom that nobody should have after me, roughly speaking. And then innaka antal wahab. You're the one who repeatedly gives grand gifts. So now, in this dua, it's a very interesting dua. It's like he's asking Allah, Ya Allah, give me stuff, kingdom, that nobody after me will ever have. Now that seems extremely materialistic. And it seems very unbecoming of, you know, the, dua, the kinds of du'as you read from prophets. And so this is something that really has to be tackled and really understood uh, at its core. And I struggled with understanding this du'a for some time because I was very moved by this du'a and very inspired by this dua. And I had a lot of crazy thoughts about this dua, but I needed to validate them by studying and seeing if there's anybody in Islamic history that had the crazy thoughts that I did too. And quite a few, quite a few uh, mufassirun actually wrote similar things that were already on my mind. And I, when I got to discuss it with some of my teachers and mentors, uh, they came to some very similar conclusions. But in order to understand this dua, the first thing to understand is where it's placed. And that's why the first session of this, this day that I had the opportunity to cover with you, I gave you a structural overview of Surah Sa'd, in which one of its sections, the third section, was dedicated to legacies of prophets. But it's not just talking about prophets, it's specifically talking to prophets as an inspiration to Rasulullah number one. And number two, in the context of people that refuse to remember Allah. Because the entire, one of the anchors in the surah that keeps coming back is remembering Allah. You remember what Qur'an, the dhikr? Right? So, and the Prophet ﷺ is now going to be given role models, not only ones who remembered Allah throughout everything, in every circumstance, but also ones that are going to be an inspiration for him on how to remind others of Allah. Now when we talk about this abstract concept of remembering Allah, this is where I want to begin. What does it mean to remember Allah or to engage in remembrance? The, one of the things I alluded to in my previous talk was remembrance is not just limited to remembrance of Allah. It's also remembering the right thing to do. Remembering our role models, remembering their struggles, taking inspiration from them. Remembering the gifts of Allah. It's not, you know, remembering what uh, the gifts of people that have done to us, like remembering the favors of your mom when you're about to get angry at her. Just remembering the right thing at the right time. This is also a kind of dhikr. 
So the Qur'an is not just dhikr of Allah, it's also dhikr through that of other things that you're gonna need. Reminders that you and I need constantly of different kinds of things. Now, having said that, usually when you and I think of dhikr, we think of somebody sitting and doing the adhkar, they're reciting either tasbih or they're reciting Qur'an and they're praying, uh, they're engaged in some kind of worship. And this, this is the context in which you and I think about dhikr. And we're going to broaden our horizon in this session. We're going to think about dhikr in much more broader terms as inspired by these ayat of the Qur'an. This is now going to start with the story of Sulaiman alayhi salam, which by the way, interestingly enough, comes right after the following ayah. Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun liyaddabbaru ayatihi. A book that we have sent down to you that is full of continual and increasing blessings. It keeps on giving you more and more and more and more. The idea of the kitab being mubarak is that when we recite the Qur'an and ponder over the Qur'an, it is actually going to give us more benefits and it will open up more doors of its wisdom than it did the last time you read it. Hence, لِيَدَّبَّرُوا ayatihi, So they continually reflect and ponder deeply into its ayat. In other words, the process of reflecting on the Qur'an will never come to an end until the Day of Judgment. Nobody will come along and say, I have extracted everything there was to be extracted from the Qur'an. That is not going to happen. Because it is by definition mubarak. It continues to give more and more and more than, is, than what is expected. So there is no such thing as underestimating the Qur'an. There's never going to be a point in my life where I'll say, that surah, I already studied it. I'm already done with that ayah. I already finished this, you know, this, this juz, or this section, or this story in the Qur'an. I already know everything there is to know about it. Never going to happen. There's always going to be, there are always going to be things that you and I are going to discover about this book. And this is the humility you and I have to have towards the Qur'an. This is, يَعْلُوا وَلَا يُعْلَى عَلَيْهِ It supersedes, it's not superseded upon. It imposes, it's not imposed upon. And we have to bring, I have to bring, you have to bring that attitude to the Qur'an. It's not like any other book. You can master other books. You can master other books. You can't master the Qur'an. The Qur'an masters you. You don't, you don't master the Qur'an. You humble yourself and I humble myself before Allah's word. So now with this introduction, which is about the, the Qur'an itself, he says, لِيَدَّبَّرُوا آيَاتِهِ So they reflect, ponder deeply into his ayat. وَلِيَتَذَكَّرَ أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ And people of sound minds, people who deeply like to think, that they make an effort to really remember. This is the introductory ayah before we get into the story of Sulaiman alayhi salam, who's the son of who? You remember from the last time? Son of Dawud, which is the previous passage. So between that passage and this passage is this ayah about the Qur'an, reflect deeply. As if Allah is saying, before you engage the story of Sulaiman, know that to understand it, you're gonna have to think very deeply. And you're gonna have to do a lot of review and reiteration, and think through, and think through, and think through, before you arrive at what Allah wants you to arrive at. It's not just going to come without effort. These are, these are not easy things. Reflection doesn't just happen when you're just sitting there and just reciting casually. It requires you to leave other thoughts behind and just engage yourself in the book of Allah. And that's b before I get into this, these ayat. And by the way, I'm gonna so stick to my time. Watch. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna be so good with my time. But before I get into these ayat, I, I do wanna share with you one of the most uh, um, valuable things I learned from a, a writer, Amin Ahsan Islahi, rahimahullah. He wrote an Urdu book called Mabadi Tadabur Al-Qur'an. And he wrote something in there that struck me. I read this maybe 12 years ago. And it's been in my head since. He said, he gave this analogy about the attitude we're supposed to have towards the Qur'an when we study it. And he, the analogy he gave is, if I were to tell you that I have buried $5 in the backyard, 10 feet deep, here's a shovel. The effort it takes to dig 10 feet is not worth what? $5. But if I were to tell you I've buried $5 million, 10 feet deep, you know what, let's make it interesting, 20 feet deep. Then the effort is totally worth it. You're gonna be exhausted, you're gonna have die, but you know what, even when you're three, three feet into it and you feel like you're not making any progress, you remind yourself what this is worth. <laughs> and you get back in it. And your family is saying, take a break. No, no, I'll take a break when I'll take a break. When your body can't take anymore and you collapse, and as soon as you wake up, you don't think about food, you think about digging again. Because you know what the effort is worth. In other words, human beings apply effort. By nature, we apply, we exhaust ourselves when we know something is worth it. And so he made the argument that if somebody doesn't have time to reflect on the Qur'an, Maybe they just don't, inter they haven't internalized what it's worth. 
They just haven't internalized what it's worth. Because if they did, they'd drop other things and they'd make time to reflect. It wouldn't be a casual endeavor for them. It would be something totally worth it. And actually the reflection on the Qur'an, أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا The cost of it, it's not just there's a treasure that lies underneath, which it, it does. It certainly does. But as a matter of fact, people who don't reflect on the Qur'an, Allah complains they have their own locks placed on them. It's a very serious matter, tadabbur in the Qur'an. It's not a casual thing. It's not something for the scholars to do, or for some group of people to do that, you know, the rest of us are off the hook. They can do the reflections for us. As a matter of fact, tadabbur, the idea of pondering over the Qur'an, learning its meanings, learning the basic meanings, you know, studying a tafsir or something like that, but then your own engagement with the book, your heart and soul engrossed in the word of Allah. That is something Allah wanted for every single human being. This is one of the things that makes our religion beautiful, is that we actually don't have intermediaries between us and Allah. Allah speaks directly to every single believer, right? And He didn't impose on us this artificial hierarchy that, you know, unless you do this, 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 and this, you cannot engage with the book of Allah. No. He opened this book to all of humanity. As a matter of fact, He invited all of humanity to reflect on it. And unfortunately, we've got a culture in which we confuse learning from reflection, right? There's a bare minimum every Muslim should try and learn. Right? And there's some, some things, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرٍ كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you're in your own reflections, if you don't learn, you can't reflect. So you're on a constant journey to learn. But this unfortunate kind of attitude that until you become a shaykh, you shouldn't even think about the Qur'an. This is a, this is a disservice to the Book of Allah. This is not what the intent ever was. There were plenty of people in our history, in, even from the Sahaba generation, who were not very knowledgeable in the Qur'an. They knew very little Qur'an, but whatever they, little they knew, they pondered over. They reflected over. They constantly mulled over. This is something that deserves our time. And this is not just an intellectual exercise. The Qur'an makes it very clear. Hearts get locked. It's a spiritual exercise. To ponder over what Allah is saying is a spiritual exercise. And it will open up your heart. Now, having said all of that, وَوَهَبْنَا لِدَاوُدَ Sulaiman. We gave the gift to Dawood. We granted him the gift of Sulaiman. So Allah is saying by the, 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 the taqdeem of Lidawud, that Dawood especially, given the things that he had done, and the way that he had carried himself. And we already learned that he became a better and better judge in the previous passage, even though I didn't go through the whole thing. Allah decides to give him the gift, him in particular, of Sulaiman. That's captured in the language of taqdeem. It's, it's brought a little bit earlier. And so from it, the Prophet is being taught وسلم, that the way he's carrying himself, Allah will make sure that his legacy will be continued. That will carry on. Just like we gave to Dawood. Who did we give? Sulaiman. Now, about Sulaiman Ni'mal Abd. What an incredible slave. This is very important, folks. Allah did not say Ni'mal Nabi. And he doesn't normally praise prophets in this way. It's like a unique praise that Allah gave. Very rarely does this kind of praise given. What an incredible slave. Ni'mal abd. Innahu awab. And awab also is actually from aib. Aib is hard to pronounce, but aib in Arabic is someone who comes back. Ya'udu qalbuhu, they say. His heart comes back. Awab is called Sigatul Mubalagha, the one who keeps coming back to Allah repeatedly over and over and over again. In the introduction to Sulaiman, we're learning two things in the Quran. Here, we're learning two things. One, that he's an incredible slave. He's not just a slave, Ni'mal Abd. What an amazing slave of Allah. Allah is proud of this slave of his. Number one. Number two, that his quality that makes him a really amazing slave is he keeps, his heart keeps turning back to Allah over and over and over and over again. This is a constant practice. This form of Arabic, awwab, fa'al, wahhab, Allah's name wahhab comes, Allah gives gifts over and over again. Khabbaz, the guy who makes bread over and over again, the baker is called a khabbaz. A qassas is someone who keeps making, you know, who chops up, meaning the, the butcher, over and over again. So here, awwab, someone who keeps turning back to Allah, continually and repeatedly, he does so. This is going to be important because there are certain things said about Sulaiman salam which are found in tafsir and we respect those opinions that I actually, ne they never sat, like I didn't find them convincing because of the language of the ayah. The ayah itself explicitly never said what was said about Sulaiman salam nor is there any particular like authenticated narration of this sort. But it certainly is found in you know, Israelite literature, Banu Israel's narrations. So we'll get into that story because all of that will lead into that dua that I started with. We have to have that background. Amazing. By the evening time, or as the evening is about to set in. Al-Ashi is used typically in Arabic for the time between Asr and Maghrib. 
Day is, setting, day is coming to a close. Around that time when the day is coming to a close, now this, t- this time of day is associated with the end of your work day. In other words, you started your work early in the day, you've been exhausting yourself, and now this is the time between Maghrib and Isha, where your, day, your work day is finally coming to a close. And by the way, to this day in most parts of the world, when is there the worst traffic? Al-Ashi. You get in traffic at Asr, and you're stuck in traffic until Maghrib. Right? The worst traffic jams are at that time because people are heading home from a long day of work. Right? So this is describing the end of a long day of work. And at that long day of work, of course, Sulaiman, Allah, we, we know he was given a great kingdom. So he's got several governmental affairs to take care of. He's got a massive empire to take care of. He's got huge issues, internal issues, external issues, civil issues and domestic issues, and then on top of that, war issues and other, other matters to deal with. It's not an easy job that he has to handle. On top of that, he's a prophet, so he's got spiritual matters to take care of for his entire community, not only administrative, governmental matters. So Sulaiman is carrying quite a load. It's not an easy responsibility that this man is carrying. And now it's the end of his day. So I'm thinking by the end of his day, he's gonna get finally a chance to what? Relax. This is going to be his break. Now he can do a little bit of dhikr. Right? Allah says at this point, what was presented to him, as-safinatul jiyad. As-safin la yakun illa min al-khayl wal-afras alladhi yaqifu ala thalathi qawaim. I wish I could physically demonstrate this to you, but I don't have four legs. And I'm not about to get on fours. But, you know, horses that are very active, they're called safin. And they're called Safin because by definition, Safin is actually, it stands on three legs, not four. One of its legs is, I'll do a little demonstration. So one of its legs is up. Like it's kind of like doing the thing. It's like pumping, ready to, ready to go. And it's actually a show of loyalty to its master when it poses like that. These are Safinat. So they're not just any horses. These are classy Ferrari horses. Okay? That's captured inside the word Safinat. And then... They say, Imam al Qurtubi says, وَتِلْكَ مِنْ عَلَمَاتِ خِفَّتِهِ أَدَّالَّ عَلَى كَرَمِ أَصْلِ الْفَرَسِ وَحُسْنِ خِلَالِهِ Oh my God, so epic. He says, this sign that it's on three legs and it's kind of pumping its leg and tapping its leg, it actually suggests how swift the horse is. And how what it, it comes from an elite branding. You know how, because this kind of posturing, they do this for expensive horses. Typical horses just stand on four legs. But the ones that are taught to posture properly, the ones that are bred in expensive breedings and have higher class breedings, that sort of thing, you know, they're the ones that do this kind of posturing. So it's illustrating that these are some really exotic horses that he's got, that have been presented to him. Then on top of that, وَحُسْنِ خِلَالِهِ That they're very, they're amicable, in other words, they're loyal horses. They're not wild horses, they're ready to serve their master. So now the first word we presented is, it's evening time, or it's almost evening, it's almost Maghrib, and he's being presented these horses, these beautiful horses. And the second description of these horses is, الْجِيَادْ جَمْعُ جَوَادْ وَهُوَ الْفَرَسْدُ الْجَوْدَ أَيْنَ They say the word jawad, or, or jihad is used here, the second quality of them is for very elegant, graceful, beautiful horses. So they are like shiny and like, wow, that's a horse. You know, jada, to, uh, from it comes the word ajada, to be good at something in Arabic. From it comes the word jayid, you may have heard jayid, good. Or reciting something properly or smoothly, tajweed. Enunciating things. Very defined, cut the, ho- the, the legs and the, the muscles of the horses are very well cut and defined. So these are really, really nice horses that are now being presented to him. By the way, these safinat, al-jihad, from the description in the language, it's already clear these are battle horses. Because they are cut up, they're muscular, they're ready to run. And now they're being presented to him for inspection. What is Sulaiman's job? What did I already tell you? What is his job? Alayhi salam. He's a prophet. He's a ruler. He's a ruler of a massive, expansive empire. He's been exhausted the entire day. The day is coming to an end. And now the cavalry, by the way, Sulaiman Alayhi army includes all kinds of animals. And all kinds of things. You guys already know this from other places in Quran. But now the cavalry is being brought in. And he's gonna check, it's gonna bring, it's being presented to him. It's being brought to him. You should inspect it yourself. Man, I got other things to do. Can't somebody else do this part? But Sulaiman goes and he wants to check them himself. He wants to look at the horses himself. فَقَالْ Now this is the part that, the interpretation that's commonly given, I will share with you first. And then I will tell you that I completely disagree with it, with all due respect, and share with you what I find far more convincing. And you can make up your own mind. I do not impose my convictions on you, but I don't hide them either. Okay? 
So at the, uh, uh, first, let's just see how it's typically translated or understood. فَقَالَ so Therefore, when he saw the horses, he said, إِنِّي أَحْبَبْتُ حُبَّ الْخَيْرِ That I certainly have fallen in love with the love of good. And the good is used in Arabic many times for horses. Like the ultimate good for the Arabs was horses. Right? So the, the language here in the Qur'an suggesting that when he sees these epic, glamorous horses, he says, I have fallen in love with the love of good. It's almost like this king who's got a car lot full of Ferraris, and all of them ring, ring, you know? And he's like, yeah, I love this good stuff. I love, I love my horsepower. You know? عَنْ ذِكْرِ Rabbi. But out of love of this good of mine, he's checking on the horses, it has, this love has taken me away from mentioning or remembering my master. So the story goes, that's attributed here, is that he was taking care of his horses. And he was so busy with these horses, that, and what time was it by the way? I forget. It's Asr time, and you're taking care of the horses, before you know it, what shows up? Maghrib shows up, he doesn't even realize, he's still in the barn taking care of the horses. Maghrib passes, he looks outside, Salat is, Salat time is over. And he says, my love of good kept me from remembering my master. So he missed Salat. So he missed salah. That's the, the interpretation, one of the interpretations offered for this. Hatta tawarat bil hijab until it disappeared into the, into the unseen, in, behind the barrier. Which barrier here suggests, some say it disappeared behind the barrier means the sun disappeared behind the barrier of the horizon. Okay? And it being feminine tawarat, so which means maghrib came and went. Right? Does the Quran say the sun disappeared? No, it says it disappeared. That's what it says, it disappeared. So now when he experienced this, he got upset. And he said, Rudduha alayya. Bring them back to me. Bring the horses back to me. And it could be that he did this as an act of tawbah, because now he feels that he's missed a salah, so he has to give some kind of kafara. Some even say that, you know, in previous nations, when you missed a prayer, or when you did a sin of any kind, like a shortcoming, then the way to make up for it is to sacrifice. Right? So he called the horses back, فَتَفِقَ مَسْحًا بِالسُوقِ وَالْأَعْنَاقِ So he started, tafiqa means to begin to, he began, began to pass over them, مَسْحْ, you guys know مَسْحْ, like مَسْحْ over socks and مَسْحْ over the, 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 the hands and things like that, over the head, مَسْحْ over the head. So he starts passing over them, over بِالسُوق, over their legs, or the thigh muscles, and الْأَعْنَاقِ, and the necks. He starts passing over them. So some add the interpretation here that what he what it means by passing over them is he took a knife and he passed it over them. He went and he chopped them legs and he cut those necks. So he basically slaughtered those animals. And then the, the discussion follows in much tafsir that he slaughtered them as an act of sadaqah. Of course, when you slaughter these animals, you're going to give them in charity and so on and so forth, right? So that's what he's going to do. Now before we go any further, I'll share with you why I disagree with this. And these were my own thoughts until I read Razi and it was almost entirely echoed. Uh, in one of the, uh, Razi mentions all the opinions and mentions at the end what he thinks, and I find it highly convincing because I was already kind of convinced of it. <laughs> so here's what it is. First and foremost, the Prophet ﷺ is being given role models in remembering because this surah's theme altogether is remembering. So it defies the idea that Allah's Messenger ﷺ is going to be given a role model who himself forgot what? The prayer. That's the first problem here. The second problem here seems to be that the word that, that, that this messenger is from the legacy of Dawud alayhi salam. And Dawud alayhi salam we know was someone who kept coming back to Allah making tawbah himself that's already been described and he's a continuation of that legacy so he's been trained well by his father. And so Allah says we gave him the legacy the legacy was carried on by the son. Uh, why would the, this doesn't seem like a very good carrying on of the legacy if the prayer was missed over something like what? Horses. It, a bigger problem Razi even mentions is later on, Sulaiman will be given even a bigger kingdom. Not just horses. Allah will give him the wind. Allah will give him jinns that can dive deep into the oceans. Allah will give him all kinds of resources that are way beyond the resources that are what? Horses. So if the horses were enough to distract him, then there should be far more distraction now. You understand? Like that it won't add up. But then there's another problem. It, it's simply solved. He says, actually the word an, an dhikri rabbi, I have fallen in love with the love of good. Here's where things get really, to me, inspirational. I have fallen in love with the love of good here means that Allah has given me these incredible horses 
these beautiful, well-bred, muscular, agile horses as resources to do good. Allah has given me good things so I can do good things with them. So khair actually in the Arabic language and in the Qur'an suggests two things. It suggests good material things and it actually also means good deeds. Khair is used for good things and good deeds. Now there's a duality of meaning. I love to do good deeds. But in order to do more good deeds, you need more good material resources. I'll give you a personal example. I've been teaching Arabic for a very long time. When I didn't have the resources, I was teaching it in my living room. And there were a few of my friends from the neighborhood used to come and I used to teach them on a dry erase board. It was good. But now 15 years later, the organization that I started on my laptop has some more resources. I'm still teaching some Arabic and Qur'an. But because of those resources, has the good spread further? It has. When you have more resources, then you're able to do more what? More good. Now, the problem is when you are looking at khayr in one dimension. I want more material good. I want more material good. This is what a lot of people live for by the way. I want a nicer car. I want a better house. I want nicer clothes. And it stops there. This is what I want. All of those things, totally cool. Want them, no problem. But want them so you can do what? Way more good. Want them so you can do... It's, there's a bigger good at, at play here. When he is checking on these horses, by the way, he's actually preparing a cavalry that will take on the charge of defending the lands of the believers, taking on the violent aggressors, take, doing Allah's task, fi sabilillah. In other words, these horses, and taking care of these horses, which seems like a material task, is actually inspired by him wanting to do good for the sake of Allah. So the word an here is, I, am, I love taking care of this good stuff, inspired by the remembrance of my master. It doesn't take me away from remembering Allah, it actually reminds me more of remembering Allah. Allah has changed our view of accessing material good in the world in this ayah. You do not have to be afraid of the material. You have to put it to work. You don't work for it, it works for you. A lot of people work for money. A lot of people work for wealth. But no, wealth should work for us. Wealth should be used for us. Some people came and asked me, you know, Allah has given me different trials in life, everybody has weaknesses. But I'll tell you one thing Allah, that Allah gave me as a gift, like fame is not a weakness for me. Alhamdulillah, I have many other weaknesses. Ask my parents. They'll tell you, there's a long list. It's really long. My mom could write a book on it. But fame's not one of them. You know, I'm the same guy as I was when I was in the living room teaching on a dry erase board. I'm practically the same guy. And it's problematic sometimes because I'm abrupt and weird. And people see me on YouTube and they think there's this spiritual person or something. I don't know what video you've seen that came across as spiritual. Because I virtually make a fool of myself every other video, so I don't know, somebody's cutting those fun parts out or something. And they, they, they come and they want me to pat their children's heads and like, you know, take a blessed selfie so their phone doesn't crack or something, I don't know. But... <laughs> I just am who I am, I make silly jokes and, you know, and say, oh, I'm so disappointed, and like, welcome to the club. You know, <laughs> you know, but the reason the reason I'm bringing this up is fame to me is actually just it's not something you work for; it's something that works for you. And in this case, it should work for the deen. Like if Allah has given me fame, I should put it to work for khayr. Use it to do something good. It's not a goal; it's a means to a much bigger goal, the khayr itself. These horses are not the goal. They may be beautiful. Horses are beautiful. And they were defined with a lot of beauty. It's not like they're ugly horses. You know, they're really nice horses, Porsche horses. You know, they're really nice horses. But he sees in them a means to a much bigger end. And all of that is inspired by the fact that Allah sometimes gives you and me talent, ability, money, opportunity, you know, investment. He gives us these things. He gives us strengths. He gives us creativity. And that creativity is supposed to be used for something much bigger. This is what Sulaiman sees. And so he says, I love taking care of these horses. Inspired by the fact that using them, I will be remembering my Rabb. And when, when he's gonna do that, عَنْ ذِكْرِ رَبِّي 
حَتَّى تَوَارَتْ بِالْحِجَابِ The interpretation there changes again until they disappeared into the unseen. In other words, he said to the horses, Mush! March! And he's gonna, because horses are tested by what? Making them run. So he gets the horses to run off. And he sees them way out disappear. And tawarat, the tafa'ul pattern suggests, and that's why the sun is also lesser likely, because tawarat would have been the word. Tawara is when two or more parties are involved. So horses are racing each other, and together they're disappearing out into the horizon. And the evening time is coming. So the horses have gone off. It's like a race. And as they've gone off, he says, bring them back. I want to see which one of them is tired, which one of them is doing well. Rudduha alayya. Bring them back to me. Fatafiqa mashan. Then he starts... Now how do you check on a horse? I mean, I don't know much about horses. But we do have a few barns near where I live. Because I live in Texas and really have barns. And gun stores. We have gun stores. It's amazing. You know? I don't go to a gun store looking the way I do. But anyway, so... so <laughs> I already got Abdul Nasser going to mountains to deliver supplies. Like, not going to a gun store anytime soon. Anyway, so... Now he, he, he brings the horses back. You know what you, you kind of, you pat them on the neck? Right? This is the anak. And you kind of pat their legs. And you rub their legs. Because the legs are the ones that get tired. They do all the work. This is someone who checks on horses, knows the horses. That's what they do. So he starts patting them on their legs and their, and their neck. He's literally taking care of these horses. Allah is teaching us when Allah gives you resources, Allah gives you good stuff, you should what? Take care of it. Take care of it. Because you're gonna do, use this to spread Allah's word. You're gonna use this to serve this deen. Whatever resources Allah has given you, you take care of them. If you do all of your da'wah on your iPad, keep, keep it clean. Because that's what you do for, use it for Allah's work. If Allah has given you the ability to speak, to maybe teach, maybe you teach some friends in college, maybe you teach some people at home, dress your best. Because you have to be your best when you do Allah's work. Allah didn't give him like, you know, broken down old horses, like Buick horses. He gave him Ferrari horses. And he took care of them. And he checked on them. Now here's the other part of this. I already started by telling you he's a king, he's a ruler, he's a prophet, he's got a massive expansive empire, he's got internal and external issues to deal with. The, king, the, the kingdom of Sulaiman is a very complex problem. So this should be a micro task that is not befitting him. He should get some servant to do this for him. Just make sure it gets done, isn't it? But he realizes something. No matter how big he gets, there are some things that he just still wants to have his hands directly on. He doesn't want to lose sight of who he is. And he doesn't want to lose sight of the fact that no task is insignificant. He wants to leave himself as a role model for his followers because he's also a prophet. And for a prophet, serving Allah is never beneath him. You know, it's like the CEO saying, that's the secretary's job, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. Or the imam saying, that's the janitor's job, vacuuming the masjid. That, I'm not going to do that. That's beneath me. I, my job is to give the khutbah and I'm going to leave. I got the VIP tasks. You, you got the lower end tasks, right? In this ayah, what we're learning is that Sulaiman given the status that Allah had given him, he did not actually make a distinction between the smallest of tasks and the biggest of them. You learn this about Sulaiman on multiple occasions. You know how big his army is, right? And it's got birds, it's got, you know, and birds. If you've ever seen birds flock, they're countless, literally countless. And you find another place in the Qur'an, he sees the flock of birds, thousands in number, of different species. He says, Mali la ara al-hudud. I don't see hudud. He knows the bird by name. How does he know this bird by name? And how does he know this one bird is missing? Do you understand how meticulous his leadership is? That he checked on this one bird that came late? One bird! I teach class. <laughs> I have, and I used to have 60 students. For nine months, I had 60 students. By the time you're done with three months, you know every one of them. You know where they sit. You know who's absent and not absent, but you know some of them. They, you only recognize them because they ask dumb questions. <laughs> they ask questions from two days ago. I have a question. 
So when you're expecting it about seven minutes into the class, you're gonna get, I don't have a question. And you don't get it, then you say, hey, where's Bilal? Like, you know, you only notice them after you had an expectation. But Sulaiman's, Ali Sahib, his, his insight, his view of his flock, his follow, it's incredible. And so what we're learning here is that you and I are never too big for the little things. We're never too important for the little things. There's nothing, no such thing as insignificant. There's no such thing as an insignificant task. If it's important, patting on the neck of a horse and patting its leg is important enough to be put in in the Qur'an as an ayah, come on. That's a pretty big deal. That's 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 Allah's way of teaching that don't belittle the tasks that you do. You know, sometimes you're involved in work for the deen, like you're working for an Islamic organization, a da'wah organization, an Islamic school. There are lots of people that help put this program together, for instance. I'm standing here on this stage with the mic behind me, but there are people that are running cameras, there are people running logistics, there are people checking emails, there are people answering questions, there are people running security, there are people, all these people. And you guys don't see them, you guys just see the guy with the lights on them. But you know what? What they do is not any more or less insignificant than me. me. It's all one team, it's all one group of people, and to Allah, they're all on stage. Like to you, I'm on stage. But to Allah, they're all on stage. And actually to Allah, some of the people that are in the back babysitting children, maybe far more valuable than me. Because that's how Allah gives value. No task is insignificant. Oh, I'm just a volunteer. No, 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 you're a volunteer. That's a big deal. You understand? There's a significance being given to these resources. Now let's move on. So these horses disappear, he, he, he pats them, and now we're learning that Sulaiman at least what we learn now, the day, is, the day is over. And when the day is over, what you'll expect from any normal human being is they're going to be exhausted. They're going to be completely overwhelmed. I mean, imagine the amount of pressure this man has on him. Alayhi salam. And so I'll offer you the interpretation of the next ayah, what I find most convincing instead of going through all of the opinions. وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّا Sulaiman. We thoroughly tested Sulaiman. Sulaiman was tested on every front. Alayhi salam. وَأَلْقَيْنَا عَلَى كُرْسِيِّهِ جَسَدًا Literal translation, we threw on his throne or his chair, we threw a body that looks almost like it's lifeless. The, the interpretation I find more, most convincing is literally that Allah Azza wa Jal threw him on his throne and he's so exhausted that he can't even get up. He is so burnt out by the work that he has to do. Allah has given him an incredible amount of resources. And he's so enthusiastic about taking care of the smallest task to the biggest task. And that's just humanly really difficult to pull off. That's just way too much responsibility for one person. To the point where he's just collapsing. He can't even stand up. He's just thrown on his chair. And as he you know, lies there, by the way, when you're that exhausted and you're in a position of leadership, that's when you start complaining and go in a bad mood. I'm so tired. I don't have any good help. Nobody even helps with the horses. I've got this front over here. I've got a civil war going on over there. I've got this general who's got this problem. I've got this, got that. And nobody's taking care of business instead of complaining. What does he do? He got, he lied, he, he's on the chair, thumma anab, then he repented. He came back to Allah. You know, this is the difference between decent people and indecent people. Uh, you have to understand this lesson before we go on. Because this is all working up to that dua, that one dua that I want to get to. What is the difference between decent people and indecent people? I'll tell you the example of decent students and indecent students. That's my favorite way to do this. <laughs> A decent student and an indecent student both take the same test. They both fail. They both failed. The decent student comes up and says, Ustaz, I should have done my homework. I should have been reviewing from a week. I had these questions and I got lazy and I didn't ask and I didn't seek the extra help and I crammed and I tried to study two hours before the exam and that's why I failed. The indecent student comes up and says, you know, this curriculum is very complicated. Also the hours are very inconvenient. I mean my fajr starts at 9 a.m. You know, and you guys start at 8 a.m., which is like the hajjah time. You know. Also, where I'm sitting in the class is very inconvenient because there's a really skinny guy on this side, a really fat guy on this side, and it's just awkward for me. And, you know, 
also, and also, and it's Texas, it's really hot. And also, Ustad, sometimes you just, you're really boring. And that's why I can't pay attention. And also, and also, and also, and also, and also. They both failed. One of them comes forward and says what? It was my fault. The other one comes forward and says what? It's the entire universe's fault. The only one not at fault is me. Everything else was wrong. You understand? Now I'll give you another example of decent and indecent people to understand this. You did your very best. You did your very best. You put every ounce of effort in, for example, putting a program together. Right? You, may, you, you did the advertising, you did the marketing, you did the logistics, you did the paperwork, you did this, you did the, every, every dot was, you cross, every, every T was crossed, every you know, I was dotted, every single detail was taken care of, and yet the program got cancelled. It didn't work out. Decent people, who do they blame? Even though they did everything right, you know who they're going to blame? Themselves. I must not have done something right. They blame themselves. Indecent people, everybody else. Is Sulaiman alayhi salam exhausted? And if he's exhausted, he's thinking, if I'm so exhausted, I won't be able to do other work. There's other, and by the way, people like that, they don't end the day and say, thank God there's nothing more to do. Ah. People like that, when they lie down in bed or sit back on their chair, what are they thinking about? The 80,000 other things that did not get done, isn't it? And now they don't even have the, he doesn't even have the energy to get up and get those things done. So at this point, he's feeling incapable. And yet he realizes, he acknowledges something about himself. It must be something wrong with me that Allah didn't give me the energy to be able to do this. So he starts repenting to Allah. And then he says to Allah, this is the dua. This is the dua that this session is about. Qala Rabbi He said, Master, forgive me. Forgive me for what? He did everything right. He exhausted himself in Allah's service. This is the attitude of someone who will serve Allah's deen inspired by the Prophet salam. You and I, whatever we do to help make the world a better place, whatever contribution you make, it's not going to be perfect because we're human beings. He's not asking forgiveness necessarily for sin. He's asking forgiveness that his good may not have been good enough. It's a big difference guys. Big difference. You know, this is the same reason that you have Ibrahim salam after passing all of his tests and building the Kaaba, saying, Tawbah alayna, accept our Tawbah. Tawbah for what? Building the Kaaba? That's a good thing. But maybe I didn't put the brick just right. Maybe I didn't do this right. Maybe there was something missing. It's Allah's house after all. A lot of pressure. Maybe I wasn't perfect. Accept my Tawbah. Accept our Tawbah. We're going to do good things. And instead of patting ourselves on the back, we're going to do good things and say, Ya Allah, forgive the shortcomings even in the good things that we did. I have to hold myself and you have to hold yourself. Those of you that are still awake, <laughs> right, might come up to me because you feel bad for me and come up and say, Ustad, that was really nice. <laughs> and even if you say that was really nice or you don't say it, whether everybody said that was really great or nobody said it, I have to ask Allah for forgiveness because I know it could have been better. I have to know I could have held myself to a higher standard. This is what people have to push themselves to. They have to keep pushing themselves. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be the best. But they certainly have to be better. They have to keep pushing themselves to be better. Master, forgive me. Then he says, Wahabli mulkan. And then give me the gift of a kingdom. La ahadim min badi. Ya Allah, give me the gift of a kingdom that is not becoming, it doesn't fit anyone that comes after me. Yeah, by the way, mulk in Arabic has a couple of meanings. It means kingdom, it actually also means qudra, capability. Ya Allah, give me the capability that nobody after me will have. Why? Because I have more resources right now. I have more, more at my disposal. I have more ability to do more good than anyone has ever had. I've got this incredible opportunity, I just don't have the energy, the capability to take care of all of this and put it to use. What good is having you know, this amazing machine, but you don't have the strength to operate it? Ya Allah, I need the strength and capability to operate this machinery, so give me the energy to make full use of the resources that you've given me. Give me the power to do that. 
And he also recognizes, because he is, he is a ruler, and he is a politician too, along with being a prophet, he realizes that when that much power is in the hands of a human being, when that much power comes in the hands of a human being, then power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. So Ya Allah, even though you are going to give me a lot of these resources, I am not hoping that these resources continue and you pass it down to somebody else. Because in the wrong hands, those same resources will produce all kinds of corruption on the earth. The same machinery that's going to be used for good, those same horses that are going to be used to serve a good cause, can also be used to spread evil on the earth. True or no? So Ya Allah, I'm, rec- I'm fully aware of the fact that power by itself is no good. Khair in one of its meanings, material good is no good. Khair only when it's going to come along with someone who will put it to good use. That's when it's good. Science by itself is no good. Science kills people. Science produces nuclear bombs, chemical weapons. But science in the right hands can produce cures. Science in the right hands can produce agriculture that, that generations haven't seen in certain lands. So he recognizes this and says, Ya Allah, give me, because he's a prophet, give me something that has, that's not going to be given after me. And he, he recognizes the corruption that's spreading in his land. He doesn't want anybody else to have this because he doesn't see anybody else capable of handling it. It's similar to Zakariya salam, who says, you know, وَإِنِّي خِفْتُ الْمَوَالِيَا I, I fear the ones who are going to take over after me. They're not qualified. They're just not going to be able to handle it. It's going to go bad. So he says, Ya Allah, fit me to this. Then the, the other meaning of this that I want to emphasize, and inshallah ta'ala, I'm, clo- I'm near my clothes. And that is it, Ya Allah, I want a kingdom that is suited to my capabilities. Give me the resources that match my talents. Meaning, la yambaghi li ahadin min ba'di means, basically customize my kingdom to me. What I'm capable of handling. Ya Allah, don't give me resources that are beyond my capability. Don't make, then I'll feel bad that I had this stuff and I couldn't put it to work. I, you need to give me things that I can actually handle. I ask your forgiveness that I'm not capable of more. But give me what is within my capacity, within my capability. لا ينبغي لأحد من بعدي you're the one who keeps on giving gifts over and over and over again. This is an incredible dua in which you and I are learning to ask something from Allah. Ya Allah, you and I, well, each of us would ask, Ya Allah, you have given me certain talent, certain opportunity. You have given me certain capability. You have given me certain wealth. Now Allah, give me the strength, the will, the moral will, the spiritual strength to put this stuff to good use in a way that is fitted perfectly for me. You know what that also tells you? The good that I'm going to do, I cannot compare with the good that you're going to do. What Allah gave you is not the same as what Allah gave me. And so the, the way you're going to put your goodness to work, is not the way that I will put my goodness to work. And there is no comparison. It's not for anybody else, it's for you. لا ينبغي لي أحد من بعدكم يعني بعد بمعنى دون هنا كذلك Other than me, it's not for anybody else, I'm just asking for myself. We're learning in this dua that we don't ask Allah for things that other people have. We ask Allah for things that are best for ourselves. Don't live a life of comparison. Don't live a life of comparison. Get Allah to give you what is right for you. Don't wish for things that Allah has given other people preferences over you. Sometimes Allah gives other people things that He doesn't give you. But you will have to ask Allah from within what He has given you. Give me something that I can put to work like nobody's business. لا ينبغي لي أحد من بعدي It's so powerful. It's so so beautiful. In this incredible passage, we're learning to break something. You know, I, I, I don't like this attitude at all. I think it's poisonous. The poisonous thing is, I, I, I don't want dunya, I just want deen. Where did you get this idea? I don't want dunya, I just want deen. And what does that even mean? Well, I just want to do something for the akhirah. I just want to pray. I don't... Is, when he was doing dhikr, what was his dhikr? Patting on horses and watching them race. That was a spiritual exercise for him, was it not? What are we learning? We're learning that engaging in this world and excelling in this world for the right reasons is deen. Engaging in this world. 
One of the most inspirational places in the Qur'an that I can't get over is even the, the, the ayah of uh, Dain, the ayah of loans, the longest ayah in the Qur'an, business transactions. Business transactions. You don't get more materialistic than business transactions, people. And yet, the guy who knows how to write the loan contract, فَلْيَكْتُبْ مِمَّا اللَّهِ He should write based on what Allah taught him. Allah didn't teach him, he learned how to write business contracts from the people who taught him how to write business contracts. And it's not a spiritual education, it's an education in finance and accounting. And Allah calls it, Allah taught him. The same verbiage that's used for the, Allah teaching the Qur'an. He gave nobility to even someone who learned business transactions as something spiritual if it's done for the right reasons. We don't separate worldly life from spiritual life in this Islam. We don't. We submit our worldly life to a higher goal. We excel in this worldly life for a higher goal. Your career should mean something more than just putting food on your table. Your, your educational aspirations, the young people that are sitting here. What is your life going to be worth? What do you want to do with your life? Oh, I like uh, photography. Why do you like photography? What are you going to do with photography? You can like photography, but have a vision, have a purpose. That is khair. Ah, I kind of like it. Oh. <laughs> Not good enough. Give me something real. Produce something. Have a vision for something. Ask Allah to give you, give you capability to actualize your strength, your, you know, your talents. And so having said this, I want to tell you what Allah did for him. He says, فَسَخَّرْنَا لَهُ الرِّيحَ We subdued the wind for him. amrihi That flows whenever he commands. He tells the wind to flow, it flows. Rukha'an, softly and swiftly. Haythu asab, whichever specific direction he wants it to go. Not only does he have an army, he also has a navy. When the navy, when you have a navy, you have these major ships. And back then they don't have engines. So how does the ship how does the ship sail? With the sails, right? And if the wind is going in the wrong direction, it's much harder to sail. He can actually tell the wind, 45 degrees, due north. And it's going to go exactly where it wants him to go. And then he reaches a point where they want to fish. And the waters are turbulent. And the waters are turbulent because of the wind. He can just tell the wind to what? Stop, we're parking here. And he can turn the middle of the ocean into a parking lot. And now the ships stop calmly because the winds have stopped. And when he does this, Allah says, not only did I give him power over the wind, was shayateen, devils, not jinn. He used shayateen, meaning evil jinns that otherwise would have been rebellious against him, he gave him power over shayateen, that he could take them out in the middle of the ocean, and then make them dive for him, and collect pearls and whatever treasures from the bottom of the ocean. And of course it's convenient for him to send them down there, because the ships are parked out, up there. That's already been captured in the wind. So, but, but not in wakhawas. Wakhawas. Kulla but not in wakhawas. All kinds of construction is being done, because of these jinn resources. And they're diving deep and finding all kinds of treasures. وَآخَرِينَ And by the way, some jinns didn't want to cooperate. And the other ones, مُقَرَّنِينَ فِي الْأَصْفَادِ They're chained up. So anybody who doesn't want to play ball with Sulaiman gets locked up. He's got all kinds of resources. And then Allah describes, at the end of it all, هَذَا عَطَاؤُنَا This is our gift. This is our grant. فَمْنُنْ Give it to whoever you want. Use it freely. Don't be cheap with it. Now we're learning that when Allah gives you resources, you don't hold them back and say, no, we need to conserve it for the next 10 years. Famnun, Give! Give! Grant! When you see an opportunity to do good, invest in people. Invest in resources. Invest in institutions. We keep thinking about saving, saving, saving. Allah says, no, you need to think about spending, spending, spending. I'm giving you, you spend. Spend. Or you can hold back too, if you want. If you see that there's something you spent in, and you invested in, it's not producing as much good as you thought, pull back and invest in something else. Put the resources in something else, put the manpower in something else. You decide what works and what doesn't work. And by the way, in this Allah is telling us that sometimes we will invest ourselves in something, and it will be successful. Other times we will learn that it wasn't successful, and that's okay. And you have to invest in something else then. You don't give up. Well, I tried before and I failed. So what? Give! And then hold back sometimes. بِغَيْرِ حِسَابٍ 
But don't audit yourself. In other words, don't hold back and say, Oh, I don't know, I've done enough, I think. No, there's never enough. You keep going. You keep going. And when we have this attitude, if Allah can submit the winds and the ocean and the shayateen for Sulaiman Alayhisam, I'm telling you, Allah gives resources beyond your imagination. Resources are not a problem for Allah. Wealth, is ne- wealth and resources and capability, physical capability, will never be a problem for this ummah. It will never, ever be a problem for this ummah. The only problem for this ummah will be its willpower to do the right thing. That's the only problem that's going to be there. One half of khair, one meaning of khair is the material good. The other meaning of khair is the good will and the good deeds. That's where the problem lies for this ummah. Our intention to do good. Our will and our drive to do good. When you have that, you watch the wealth and the resources just come. It'll just come. Because you didn't want it. You wanted the good. That was just a stepping stone to get to the good. That's all it was. And when Allah sees that in you, He opens the doors of, of risk. وَإِنَّ لَهُ عِنْدَنَا لَزُلْفَ وَحُسْنَ مَعَابٍ Oh, and he has a very beautiful place with us. You know, he has this beautiful... By the way, if you look at Sulaiman salam only in the worldly sense, if you know nothing about his spiritual life, you know nothing about him being a prophet, and you just look at him, somebody walks by and sees him, he sees a magnificent king with gorgeous horses and an endless navy, and like ridiculous looking, scary looking things, I think they're jinn or something, you know, birds... He sees a person who has the best of worldly life. Wouldn't you see that? And you know what we think sometimes? We think if you have the best worldly life, you won't have the good akhirah. If you have good things in this life, probably chances are you won't get good things in akhirah. Akhirah is for poor people. You know? And this concept is corrupted. Akhirah is for people who don't have dunya in their heart. It has nothing to do with what you have in your hand. There are some people who have no worldly gains in their hand, but world materialism is seeped inside their heart. Even if they're completely bankrupt, they are still people of dunya. And then there are people who are trillionaires, billionaires. But they have no ounce of it where? In their heart. In their heart is just desire to do more good. That's all there's there. That's all they care about. And those people are people of, of, of akhirah. They can have the best of this life and the next, because they don't care for the best of this life. That was just a means to an end. That's all it was for them. And so this is the grant of Allah, and He will have a husna ma'ab, and much more beautiful a place to go back to. After all of that, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this. I leave you with the following. This surah and the sequencing of it, I, I talked to you about before, but the sequencing of prophets also. Immediately followed after this is Ayyub alayhi salam. Ayyub alayhi salam is almost exactly the opposite of Sulaiman alayhi salam. Why? has no control over his family, not even over his physical body. Sometimes Allah will give you endless resources. Other times Allah will give you zero resources. He won't even give you the resources of your own body. Some people will be tested with a lot of material good. And other people will be tested with absolutely no material good. Nothing. And yet both of them, both of them, look at the language of Allah Azza wa Jal, by the end when Allah describes it, he also has great status with us. He also enjoys this high status. Subhanallah. So it's not that your measure with Allah is determined by how much He gave you in this world. Because you might get confused if you only study the story of, of Sulaiman. You say, well, if Allah really wanted me to do good, He would have given me a lot of good resources. And that's how I know Allah likes me. Well, no, He loves Ayyub too. So Allah gives tests, sometimes with good and sometimes with harm. You have to navigate both of those tests and prove yourself to Allah. Because through both of them, for both of them, these were just a means to an end. The difficulty is a means to something higher. And the ease is means to something higher. When the difficulty and the, the, the ease, when they become your end, that's when you lose sight of what this iman is about. Subhanallah. I, I'm particularly moved by this dua as I leave you guys, because I honestly think that we need, we need an inspired young generation that is going to take this message of the Qur'an and is going to bring its light to every career. Every career. Some of you are going to go into the medical profession, some of you will be architects, some of you will be engineers, some of you will be historians, political scientists, anthropologists, I don't know, media people, animation people. You're going to be all kinds of crazy people. But whatever you are, you're going to excel in it. You're going to have your safinatul jihad. You're going to have your Ferrari horses ready to run in every one of those fields. And you're going to do them because you have a higher purpose. You want that career to mean something more than just money. 
You want it to be, mean something much, much bigger. And you want to show the excellence of Islam and the fact that you can live a life of dhikr no matter what career you do, no matter what path you take. You will still live a life of dhikr. And you will not forget Allah Azza wa And you will exhaust your resources until they depart into the sunset and still you'll want to give more and more and more. And even if you do hit a setback, it won't stop you from giving. You will make smart decisions, you'll learn from your mistakes, and you'll keep on moving forward. This is what the Ummah needs right now. This is what it needs. And this was the inspiration given to Rasulullah wasallam that you know, whatever resources are at your disposal, more or less, you work with them and you exhaust them to their maximum. You put them to work. Famous ayah, لا يكلف الله نفسًا إلا Just that one part. لا يكلف الله نفسًا إلا Simply translated, Allah does not burden anyone except to their capacity. Allah does not burden anyone except to their capacity. Except, the problem linguistically is that would have been if the ayah was, لا يكلف الله نفسًا إلا بوسعها. If the ba' was there, I would have no problem translating, Allah does not burden a person except to their capacity. By removing the ba', what Allah did is a kind of tawassur, which means something drastically different and powerful. What it means then is, Allah does not test or does not burden a person except with their own potential. Listen to what I'm saying again. Allah does not burden a person except with their own what? Potential. Wait a second. That means, I got an 80 on a test, but I had the potential to get a 100. Allah will ask me what? How come you didn't go for the 100? Just because you had the... You were good, it was good enough to get by Mediocrity You were just getting by And that was good enough No, Allah will test you with your excellence With the maximum potential you have You and I will have to constantly ask ourselves What more could I accomplish? What more could I accomplish? What more could I accomplish? And the only thing you're gonna have to fear Is your own Your, 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 your delusional fear that you're not capable You are capable You are capable Allah burdened you with capability Allah burdened you with amazing potential and you're going to keep pushing that potential over and over and over again, testing it. Because until you test it, you don't know what your potential is. You just don't know. I push myself. You have to push yourself. You have to put milestones on yourself. My, my next target is I, I want to know Hebrew in a year. I want to know it. I'm going to study it. Because I want to do some research into the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, for myself. I mean, I could just go ask a rabbi, but I want to sit with the rabbi, show him the verse in the Hebrew Bible, and say, hey, translate this. Because I got my own translation. What you got? You know? I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to push my potential. Set goals for yourself. And push yourself. Not luxuriously. Hard goals for yourself. You know? In your, in your spiritual life, memorizing Quran, in your prayer, in your, in your dietary habits, everything. You, you have to excel in everything. Muslims have to excel in everything. Sulaiman could not be doing what he does if he wasn't in great shape. If he was eating like, you know, rice and like oily food all day, he would not be taking care of battle horses. If he wasn't doing exercise and staying fit, like, you don't do what he does. You don't, know, you don't do what the prophets do if they're not in great shape. Physically, you know, spiritually, intellectually. We have to push ourselves on every front. Every front. That's part of what Allah expects from us. That's what I want to see in this generation, inshaAllah ta'ala. There's people that just, other, other human beings look at them and say, wow, they're good at everything. These guys are just good at everything. I want to be like them. May Allah Azza wa Jal inspire all of us to excel in everything that we do based on his beautiful book. May Allah Azza wa Jal continue to grow us in our love and admiration and our understanding of this book. I'd like to thank all of you for your participation. I want to give a special round of applause to the organizers of this program that helped us. Um, I don't know if they want to be named, but I really want to thank them and make dua for them. The kind of stress, effort, uh, sleepless nights that went into putting this program together from the team on our end in Bayina and here, uh, in Singapore is absolutely breathtaking. I am so humbled by their effort, and I'm so grateful to them, as all of us should be, inshallah. That's the first thing I want to share with you. Uh, this, the second uh, quick thing that I want to uh, share with you, inshallah, is uh, just a recommendation for the rest of you. Look, my, I've, I've cut down my travel quite a bit. I know it doesn't seem very convincing when I'm standing in Singapore, but I have 
cut down my travel pretty significantly. And the reason I've done that is because I believe that most of the work that I do, I need to just make these resources available to you. So when I travel, I'm able to do less work. When I don't travel, I'm actually able to do more work. And most of my work, you have access to it online, right? And I'm trying to produce more and more Qur'an study resources that can inshallah help you, help non-Muslims, help families, help children inshallah, along with my colleagues. And if you'd like to support that effort, I'd like you to participate in Bayina TV. If you guys don't have a membership of Bayina TV, get one. Bayina.tv, get a membership. If you can't afford a membership, just click on gift and get it for free, I don't care. But be part of it. Because every time somebody benefits from the good that we do, Allah gives us more. He gives us more capability, He gives us more blessings, and we're able to do more, and I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I want to get to a point where inshallah ta'ala, Bayina Institute has Quranic Arabic programs, Quran education for young people, you know, the Islamic education, history education being offered all over the Muslim world. All, and actually all over the planet, why not? We can take it over, why not? No problem. And if people like you are going to support us, and you're going to be our ambassadors, Look, if you, if you, honestly, if you guys believe in our work, I believe in my work, I do. On the one hand, I acknowledge that I have many mistakes, and you know, our, our team, they could always do better, but I believe in the work that we do. And I believe that if Allah was to take my soul tonight, I have a case to make, Ya Allah, I did something good. I did something good. Ya Allah, just give me, like, one person benefited over there somewhere. Just give me that one as a reward, and I'm, I'll be fine. Inshallah. But you know what? We have a potential. All of you can be like part of that adal al khair kafa'ilihi. The one who points to something good is like the one who gets the reward of doing it. Right? When you spread the word about this resource, about Bayina TV, then not only are you benefiting, you're benefiting others, and every, every time they benefit, you're benefiting. And as a result, we're benefiting. And we're just, inshallah ta'ala, spreading this beautiful, beautiful book as it deserves to be spread. Hopefully we can do some justice to this book and some justice to this incredible, incredible, incredible deen. Thank you so much for your attendance. I'm so very grateful to all of you. You guys are going to be in my du'as.